In the last episode, we talked about the senseless massacre that took place in a Below grocery store in the small town of Windsor. Three employees, Grover Cecil, Joyce Reason, and Johnny Rakins, were left dead, and two others severely injured, while one person miraculously walked out of the store unharmed. A white sedan was seen speeding out of town shortly after the incident. But despite all of the eyewitnesses, this was still not an open and shut case. Aside from two separate witnesses informing the police about an erratic driver leaving Windsor and turning onto US 17 at a high rate of speed, nobody else reported seeing anything out of the ordinary near the Below grocery store that Sunday. Even the people at the residence across the street said they had not heard anything alarming. No screams, no gunshots, nothing. A local flower shop employee, Ross Bond, who was sitting outside in a nearby lot, told the police that he only realized something was wrong when he saw the flashing lights of the emergency vehicles. By then, three people were dead, two severely injured, and the killer had vanished as if he was never there. The grocery store did have surveillance cameras, but of course, they were non-functional at the time of the murders. It's unknown whether the killer was aware of this or simply got lucky. But the fact he didn't wear a mask during the ferocious attack speaks volumes. Needless to say, the investigators were eager to get a statement from the surviving witnesses of the massacre. As soon as Tony and Thomas's conditions stabilized, they began to develop a profile of the man responsible for the bloodiest attack in Windsor's history. This guy was described as about 30 to 35 years old, around 6 foot to 6 foot 2, African-American male, with a medium complexion, slender, solid build, military-style haircut, and light brown slanted eyes. It was also noted that the person had a narrowed nose bridge, which could have resulted from an injury. The cleaning crew members also told the detectives the killer had said he was a former police officer and apparently unjustly fired. This detail caught the attention of the authorities. If the killer really had been a law enforcement official, he could be identified from the records. So the Windsor Police Department put out the word about the killer's claims. And as a result, they received a list of recently fired officers from agencies across multiple states. But although the lead was exciting, it soon proved to be a dead one. None of the names on the lists matched the suspect's description or other evidence. While that didn't necessarily mean the killer had lied about his past, many doubted the claim and thought he had only used it to scare the victims. Former NCSBI Special Agent Dwight Ransom also noted that he found it strange that this person only took one magazine with him to the grocery store. Someone with military or police training would have carried several magazines. The whole thing just didn't add up. Frustratingly, the killer's fingerprints and DNA also didn't yield any matches, and the cartridges found at the scene were not linked to any other crimes. So if the killer wasn't a police officer, 
what kind of person was he? According to the FBI's Behavioral Science Unit, the suspect had likely served time in prison before, presumably for a serious felony. While incarcerated, this person would not have gathered much attention to himself. Instead, they were likely a model prisoner, cooperative and non-confrontational. But he behaved like this just for his own benefit. The FBI's profile painted a picture of a charismatic person with the ability to manipulate people. This person knew how to appear friendly and nice to hide their true self, the monster. And this is why the police believed, even though somebody may have recognized the killer's description and the sketch distributed on posters, they may refuse to come forward. This guy had people wrapped around his little finger. So, because there was no CCTV footage of the suspect or their vehicle, something a bit more radical was tried to retrieve images of the scene. A Texas-based company came forward with the idea of checking if a satellite was in orbit overhead Windsor at the time of the massacre. If they were lucky, they could even see the killer leaving the grocery store or the getaway car waiting outside. It was an exciting idea, and in August, two months after the attack, Windsor paid a $300 fee for a scan to determine if a satellite was above the area at the time. Everyone was holding their breath, waiting to see the results. There had not been much progress in the case, and the police were desperate for a breakthrough. But when the results came back, the investigation was back to square one, as there had not been satellites over Windsor on June 6th. While the authorities were planning their next move, the people of Windsor tried to continue their lives. In a town where it had been normal to keep your doors unlocked, residents were now scared to go out and let their children play by themselves. The Below grocery store reopened five days after the slaughter. But as you can guess, nobody wanted to set foot inside. The effects of the unimaginable crime were so drastic that Bonnie Below had to permanently close the store at the end of July. The people were wondering if the killer had really left the town or if they were about to strike any day again. There was a need to restore some sense of security. And so in the months following the massacre, around 130 residents signed up for firearms classes with Bertie County Sheriff's Department. While the fear eventually began to subside as time passed, a few incidents outside Windsor kept everyone on their toes. On Sunday, September 19, 1993, at about 10.30, Chris Ray drove to North Riley Food Lion to pick up her husband, John. The store was located about a two and a half hour drive from Windsor. So Chris waited in the parking lot, but oddly, John was nowhere to be seen. She eventually drove behind the store and rang the delivery buzzer, but got no answer. At this point, Chris knew something was wrong and dialed 911. They were able to tell by peeking through windows that cash registers were scattered on the floor. As they gained entry into the building, 
the police discovered the bodies of John Ray and his co-worker, Michael Trulove. Both have been shot to death. The killer or killers had stolen $2,300, and due to the fact there were no signs of forced entry, it was thought the perpetrators might have been hiding inside the store, waiting for the closing time, just like in Windsor. However, despite the similarities, it was soon proven the cases were unlikely linked. Five days after the murders, 25-year-old Robert McNeil and his 23-year-old brother Elmer were arrested and convicted of the crime. While there could have been a connection between the two attacks, in theory, the fact that the McNeils are Caucasian didn't match the survivor's statements. But the Food Lion murders were not the only crime in the area that caught the people's attention. Almost a year after the massacre, another Belo store was targeted, just 34 miles north of Windsor, in the town of Hartford, located along US-17, with a population of around 2,000. On the night of May 10, 1994, manager Dwight Gilliam was closing up the Hertford Belo with one other employee, when a man wearing a ski mask emerged from a hiding place, threatening the employees with a large automatic handgun. The man collected an undisclosed amount of cash before, and this is where it gets interesting, binding them with duct tape and dog leashes. That's a bit too specific to be a coincidence. However, this time, the Belo employees were left totally unharmed. Other than pointing at them with a gun, this person never threatened them verbally. Dwight and the other employee later described the suspect as a six-foot-tall African-American male with a stocky build. While there was no physical evidence linking the two Belo robberies together, Nobody could deny the similarities. Both times the suspect had been hiding inside the store, waiting for the closing time. They used duct tape and dog leashes, and the perpetrator was an African-American male. Although Windsor survivors had described the suspect as having a slender build, and Hartford witnesses said he was stocky, it didn't necessarily mean they were describing a different person especially because almost a year had passed between the attacks. It was more than possible that after the fiasco in Windsor, the killer now wore a mask to hide his face and didn't feel the need to kill the witnesses. Harford Bilo was also located in the same direction as the possible getaway car was heading after the massacre in Windsor. Because many months had passed since the first attack, the killer might have been living somewhere nearby. Another possibility, of course, is that the Hartford Below robbery was the handiwork of a copycat, which would explain the lack of evidence. Whichever the case, the police had no more luck solving the second Below attack than the first one. At this point, we need to go back in time a little bit. You may still remember the bear grass incident mentioned in the first episode, where a woman was killed at Cherry's Cupboard a week before the Belo massacre. All this time, Audrey Leggett's death had remained unsolved, and some began to wonder if all three cases were linked. If you place the locations of these crimes on a map, they are basically on a straight line 
along US-17, starting from Bear Grass and ending in Harford. Perhaps the incident at Cherry's Cupboard was just a prelude. But due to a lack of evidence, and the fact a different gun was used in Beargrass compared to Windsor, the link between the cases remains speculation. And so remains the identity of the Below Massacre killer. Despite all the efforts, witnesses' statements, and extensive investigation, the police have been unable to crack the case. Over the years, more questions have been raised than answers. One of the main things that still puzzles both the authorities and the public is the motive. If this person went in for just money, why did he decide to kill employees that didn't pose any threat to him? He consciously chose not to wear a mask and still left one of the witnesses unharmed. It's also strange the killer acted so composed and methodically, but then seemed to lose it as he attacked Thomas with a knife and didn't care about the evidence he left behind. The most frustrating thing about this case is that it makes very little sense, but it seems that the killer went to the store with not only money in his mind, but murder. The Below grocery store itself didn't also exactly seem like an ideal location for a robbery. Although there were many routes to escape unnoticed, there were also houses and other businesses nearby. Risking so much for $3,000 is hardly worth it. But then again, who are we to say about a criminal's reasoning? The white car with Maryland license plates that was seen speeding out of town was never found, and it has not been proven it belonged to the killer. The DNA sample and fingerprints still get run through the system but so far, there have not been matches. And that is where we are today. Almost three decades later, the case is still open, and the police are still working to bring closure to the families who lost loved ones in this case, and those who lived through the terrifying experience. But besides 2015 news about one surviving victim giving a new description of the perpetrator, saying they were older and had different facial features. There have not been recent developments. A reward of $30,000 remains for information, leading to the arrest and conviction of the killer. Anyone with information is asked to get in touch with one of these agencies. Windsor Police Department at 252-794-3111 North Carolina State Bureau of Investigation 800 Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. 
BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.